Hey guys, it's Matilda Pearl. We've lost too many lives on our roads this year through risks that weren't worth taking. So I've teamed up with the TAC and other artists to use live music as a way of highlighting that life without your mates is as quiet as music without a band. So take extra care out there and let's keep the band together. G'day, I'm Alex Leahy and welcome to Always Live. In this episode, we jump on a magic carpet and travel right across Victoria with an Access All Areas Festival Pass. From the big day out to boogie, riverboats to red hot summer, plus Port Ferry, Golden Plains, out on the weekend, and many more. Yep, it's a festival of festivals. And we'll uncover the mystery of the Meredith boot. Yep, Meredith with Paul Kelly. Everyone started doing something funny with their shoes. They were holding their shoes up or doing something funny with their shoes when we were playing. Have you heard of that? What does it all mean? All will soon be revealed. So where do we start? A great Victorian success story is A Day on the Green, which Mick and Anthea Newton started out of their garage in Elwood in 2001. The concept was simple, a big day out for grown-ups. Good food, fine wine, and great music in magnificent locations. And it took off. A Day on the Green recently celebrated its 500th show. A Day on the Green is one of my favourite concert series. They do such a good job. They've been around for, I guess, a couple of decades now, and they run such a great program. It's always varied. Whoever came up with the genius idea of putting on music shows in vineyards and just marrying those two of life's great joys deserves a medal. A very eclectic program always and always just a magnificent day out. That's James Wigney, the entertainment editor at the Herald Sun. Over the past 21 years, A Day on the Green have sold more than 4 million tickets, 63,000 T-shirts and 172,000 stubby holders. There have been many magic moments including a show that the mighty Midnight Oil did at Mount Dunedin Estate near Geelong during a break in COVID in March 2021. It was a gig that Horsham's Alice Skye will never forget. That show was surreal because so many people were cancelling gigs at that time that I kind of wasn't really expecting it to even go ahead. I just remember being just, it felt really surreal to be at Mount Dunedin Estate with so many people in the crowd and watching everyone just go all the way off to beds of burning. (laughs) I think, like, yeah, even the energy was so epic because of kind of the time that we were all in and the headspace that we were all in or, you know, not thinking live music was something that could happen. I definitely went through a really long period of thinking it just wasn't something that I would do again or, you know, I'd have to (laughs) pick up my science degree again or something. As well as doing her own set, Alice joined the Oils on stage to do a song from the Macarada Project, Terra Australia. When I got asked to record that song, 
with Midnight Oil, I thought I was just singing harmonies. <laughs> I thought I was going to be singing harmonies for Peter Garrett. And then I got in the booth and they were just like, all right, go for it. <laughs> and I was like, so you're not going to sing on the, <laughs> you're not going to sing on the song? And they're like, no, just you. Which, yeah, I was like, wow. So grateful to have been involved in it. And those shows were so epic. I met Kathy Freeman at the Mountaineed show. <laughs> um, <laughs> didn't know she was friends with Midnight Oil and that was crazy. Yeah, those shows were so amazing. But I think the Mountaineed one was the biggest one. There were just so many people everywhere. We caught up with Alice Skye before she did another special show, her hometown gig for Always Live, which sees First Nations artists journey back home. It is special. We had a f- our first sort of meeting with everyone and talking about the event and it was exciting. We were talking about the Horsham Sound Shell, which is where the gig will be. And I grew up in Horsham and my mum worked for the art festival back there, Art Is Festival. And so I would run across the stage and get in the way of everybody when there were events happening at the Horsham Sound Shell. And it was where I saw my first gig. Um, I saw Spiderbait play there when I was about six years old in like 2001, I think. And I think it was brother Isaiah Firebrace's manager. He was involved in organising that Spiderbait gig. So we were yarning about that. And I think it's kind of like a full circle sort of thing, I guess, you know, playing at home. So I'm excited to go back and play the gig, but I'm also excited that we're going to be doing some workshops with young people there as part of the kind of homecoming hometown event. And that will be a really cool opportunity and really meaningful to me in, yeah, lots of ways. Alice mentioned Isaiah Firebrace, who also did his own hometown show, Returning to Echuca. Throughout my career, you know, my hometown and the communities um, surrounding my hometown and in regional Victoria have been huge supports, you know, in, in my journey. So when I go back there, it's, it always feels very special. And when I go back there for music, it's like even better. It's like I'm giving back. So, yeah, it's always great. The Yorta Yorta Man, who won the X Factor in 2016 and finished top 10 at the Eurovision Song Contest, always loves a gig in the country. I feel like the country crowds, they really have an appreciation. I feel like when you're there, it's like, I don't know, maybe they don't get much artists and things, you know, coming out to where, wherever that may be. So they really get around it. You know, they really appreciate it. They applaud. They really, yeah, they really seem appreciative. Not that the the city gigs aren't like that, but I guess, you know, with the city, like, you know, there's music around everywhere. There's an act probably every week, you know, performing. And of course, both are really great, but the country towns and the regional places really have this appreciation f- for that and, and for you being there. Isaiah never fails to deliver on stage. Though off stage, well, things don't always go according to plan. <laughs> I've got a story. Um, it was after one of my shows. I did a, a little concert um, with, with my band. I've, I've got a really great band. Anyway, like we, fin- we finished the show, you know, did our encore. Crowd was going off. It was amazing. And I walk off stage and then, you know, my band finished the finale outro and then 
they come off stage and, you know, everyone's hype. We're like jumping like, woo, that was so good. Yeah, you know, patting each other on the back, like awesome job, guys. My guitarist tries to like pick my pianist up like in a big bear hug and lift him up and he's Samoan so he's like a tank he is like you know he is built and my guitarist tried to pick him up and ended up breaking his leg side stage like directly after our performance it was like crazy because like he just dropped to the ground. Like my guitarist broke his leg because the pressure of lifting up my pianist <laughs> snapped his leg. And like, so after the performance, everyone's in like panic mode. Ambulance came like, yeah, it was crazy. We just thought he'd like tore his ACL or something. We got the x-rays back. He literally snapped his leg. So now we have this rule in our band. No one's feet leaves the floor <laughs> after a performance. So <laughs> that's something that we love about now, but it was like really traumatic. So shout out to Emilio, like my guitarist, you know, you're a strong guy. So I, I feel like we can kind of laugh about it now, but I know it hurt. This episode is all about festivals, but Isaiah has something he wants to tell us. I have never been to a festival. I've never bought a ticket and been to a festival before. I've performed at festivals, but I have never been to a festival. Not even when I was growing up. Like, I have never been to a festival before. It's so weird. Like, I've heard of all these, um, you know, great festivals everywhere, but I've never, I've never actually been. It's so funny to me that I perform at festivals, but I've never been. Come on, Isaiah. What are you waiting for? There are so many great music festivals in Victoria, including one in Isaiah's hometown of Echuca, which is a go-to for this guy. Yeah, yeah. Hi, it's Henry Waggins. You have the pleasure and privilege of listening to the Always Live podcast. The Riverboats Music Festival is in Echuca, Moama, on the traditional lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Riverboats is a border town. You know, border towns, frontier territory is very... Uh, mythological for a country musician, you know, Albury, Wodonga, what side are you? You know, it's, it's you know, what do people from Albury think of people from Wodonga, the Murray River pulsing uh, through it? Great curation, incredible acts with a songwriting focus, you know, and you'll hear that at Riverboats and it's a real cross-generational thing. You'll, you'll, you'll literally see families on a picnic blanket with three generations. You've got the grandchildren, you've got the mum and dad and, and, you know, the grandparents have been dragged along and they all hate each other because they couldn't find a park. Family outings can be fun. But, you know, Brian Nankervis throwing a frisbee out there, it's a real family environment. And then the gigs are punctuated. In between, there are these gigs that happen in the morning actually on riverboats. So the name is true to itself. You can go and actually watch artists play at the helm of the riverboats. In fact, I remember talking to William Crichton before he played the riverboat and told him that the key of the doot doot of the riverboat was in F sharp because I was doing a Bruce Springsteen cover of State Trooper and I noticed that the key of the song happened to match when the boat would go doot and it was as if the boat was playing a solo to my song in F sharp. So I basically said, because the driver of the, the, what do you call it, the captain could hear the song through the loudspeaker, I'd say, 
I'd tell, I'd cue him when I wanted him to play a solo. So I'd play a verse of State Trooper. You know, Mr. State Trooper, please don't stop me. Take it away, Captain. It was great. So I, I can say it's the only festival in the world where you can play a duet with a boat. <laughs> There's something very special about a festival by the water. The Port Fairy Folk Festival is one of the longest-running music festivals in the state, having started way back in 1977. It had pretty humble beginnings. The first festival was literally on the back of the truck. These days, the festival takes over the entire town during the Labor Day long weekend in March. And despite the name, you don't have to be strictly folk to play at the Port Fairy Folk Festival. Vickable loves playing at Port Fairy. Port Ferry's a beautiful festival, very well run. I love the way everyone takes their little chairs along and sits down and in these amazing, in these humongous tents. I've always enjoyed Port Ferry because of the town as well. It's such, Port Ferry is such a pretty, a pretty seaside town and the history too, the Irish. And, you know, you can really feel that that seems to be where they all went. Then there's the Queenscliff Music Festival, which has been running since 1997. It's a favourite festival for the music manager, Michael Parisi. I thought that was a very well-run music festival. You know, it was all ages, but it was so well-run and programming was excellent too. You know, it was a bit of an older demographic, but nonetheless, it was, it was great to see bands like, you know, artists like Joe Camilleri, Dan Sultan, Claire Bowditch. Yeah, that was the last time I went to you know, pre-COVID. It was just a nice experience. And a nice part of the world on top of that, you know. And you get looked after so well at those festivals because, you know, these people don't get to see the kind of music we're sport with in, in Melbourne proper. So when you get to the regionals, there's not only is there a captive audience, there's a hungry audience and they'll lap up anything that, that you know, or any act that wants to, it takes the time to go down there and play. Michael Parisi digs Queenscliff, but there's one music festival he loves more than any other. My favourite festival in Victoria, by a mile that nothing comes close, is Meredith. It's the most eclectic uh, music festivals in the world, let alone Australia. Who knows what you're going to get at, at Meredith. The one thing is about Meredith, which I love, is, is the kind of community spirit and the vibe of the joint because there's one stage. Unlike the Big Day Out, which was, was another, a great festival for its own reasons, there's one stage at Meredith. And so everyone goes to see the bands, you know what I mean? It's so well-programmed and, and so well-run. As you drive in to Meredith, you know, the sign says it all. It's, you know, they've got a no dickhead policy. And I've never, and I've been to Meredith, you know, I went to the very first Meredith actually when there was 2,000 people there. The Magic Dirt, I think we're headlining. And there's never, in all times I've been there, and I've been there quite a bit, I've never ever seen any form of trouble. People are hugging each other. Recreational drugs will help that. But just in terms of spirit and vibe, it's just the best festival so a really important venue and space for Magic Dirt and myself is Meredith, out in Meredith, near Geelong, my hometown. And again, that soil, that earth has got some shit going on, some good juju there, some crazy old juju. I mean, Meredith is iconic. You know, everybody knows about Meredith. And if you're going to be a festival goer or a punter, you have to at least experience Meredith once in your life. You know, it's worth the trip. We've had many fun times. I mean, we were there from the beginning when it was first formed. Yep, Adelita and Magic Dirt were there when the Meredith Music Festival started in 1991. She's got many Meredith memories. 
remember once we lost. So we were all pretty young. I think we were doing like our first Meredith or second one and we're all standing backstage pretty off it and someone had a tab of acid in their hand and they dropped it and we're all standing around in a circle. They dropped it in the on the soil and it was a bit dry and everyone's like, oh, no. So we're bending down and all trying to sift through the soil to find this tab. It was when they were the clear lights, white. I think we might have found it. Some good festival advice for the kids there. Stay away from the brown soil. Whenever Magic Dirt play Meredith these days, it's always very emotional. Founding member and bass player Dean Turner tragically died of cancer in 2009. He was just 37 years old. Yes, I remember when we did the last Meredith show, Magic Dirt, we are invited and, of course, we had to do it without Dean. But, you know, I know Dean would have been super proud and super happy we were there. And, you know, Dean loved Meredith. I remember he used to take his white panel van. He's, I think it was like a Holden panel van and like real old school and, you know, he'd have the back bit and he'd flip the back bit down and we'd all sort of sit around and smoke joints or, you know, party and around the panel van. You know, that was the epicentre of our camping spot and it was Dean's. You know, we always talk about Dean and Meredith was a huge one and I think Meredith was the only time, I don't cry in public but it was the only time I cried backstage, got off stage and just like I was, wasn't expecting it but just like bleh, just like burst into tears. Oh, it would have been the Golden Plains that Magic Dirt played. Yeah, whatever the last one was that that Magic Dirt did and and someone raised a boot, you can raise the boot and, um, yeah, we had that happen for Dean. It was pretty emotional, it was pretty, pretty intense, pretty, yeah, pretty big show for us and, um, you know, we could feel Dean there. We always feel him around us but especially when we do things like that, you just think about him and feel him even more. We're always you know, toasting him and, you know, talking about him with love and pride. So, yeah. Dean was such a loved member of the Melbourne music community. There's even a Dean Turner stage at the Laneway Festival. Oh, yeah, the Dean Turner stage, of course, at Laneway. Yes, yes. I did a solo show at Laneway Festival on the Dean Turner stage and that was a pretty huge moment. Adelaide mentioned Magic Dirt getting the boot at Meredith. And no, it's not a bad thing. Getting the boot is Meredith's highest honour. When Vicar Bull played there with Paul Kelly, she admits she was initially a little freaked out when at the end of Paul's set, pretty much everyone in the crowd had taken off their shoes and were holding them in the air. And no, they weren't doing a shoey. No, they weren't drinking out of their shoes. They were, they were doing something funny with their shoes. And we're like, what the hell is everybody doing? And apparently it was something, some Meredith thing where if they like you or, you know, maybe because we were like the older statesmen or something and so they kind of approved. So they, they were doing this funny thing with their shoes, which I remember. I was a bit kind of scared when I saw it. But Meredith I thought was beautiful, most beautiful backstage, you know, really put the effort in. So what's the Meredith boot all about? Well, we tracked down the man who invented it all, the larger-than-life figure behind Cherry Bar, James Young. I went to um, 26 consecutive Merediths. It was a, it was where I felt like these were my people. Like you spend your whole life working and then one weekend you go away and everyone who's there actually knows who you are. So I love Meredith. And, yeah, when they started um, Golden Plains and they were looking for a point of difference, they say the point of difference is is the boot. And, yes, uh, 
that was me watching the Comets on Fire from San Diego and um, I had an emotional evening and I, I looked down at my um, Rocco's white patent leather boot and couldn't help but w- marvel at the, at the artistry of this boot that had been handcrafted for me and I held it in front of my own hand and then felt the need to share it with the rest of the crowd so that they could admire the beauty of the Rocco boot. And then 15 minutes later, someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, turn around. And there was 10,000 people also holding up their shoes and comparing the worth and the value of, of the boot. And hence the, uh, nothing, nothing crafted, nothing intended, just a, a, a natural organic thing. And every now and then I get sent an article by someone saying that, look, they've started to do this in um, Sweden. The boot is the ultimate appreciation. If you see someone you like at Meredith, you hold your footwear in the air. But as Lachlan Stuckey, the guitarist in Melbourne soul funk outfit Surprise Chef says, it's a heavy responsibility. I'm certainly not flippant with the boot. I reckon I can remember every boot that I've given. The last boot I gave was, of course, Karate Boogaloo, 2019 Meredith. Karate Boogaloo are my favourite band in the world and I have the absolute honour of managing them. And I was their booking agent at the time as well. I had to uh, walk around and get in the crowd just to deliver the boot. The first boot I ever gave was um, was definitely Charles Bradley. But yeah, the boot is, uh, is is not to be taken lightly. I know some people, they uh, exercise their right to boot several times over the weekend. No disrespect, but uh, I, like to, uh, I like to keep it special. You only get one boot in my opinion. As James Young mentioned, Arnie Meredith started a sister event, Golden Plains, at the same site in 2007. The two festivals have battled it out at the Music Victoria Awards over the years. Meredith won Best Festival in 2013, 14, 16 and 17, while Golden Plains took the title in 2015, 18, 19 and 20. James has been there for all the big moments, including the Dirty Three's unforgettable performances. I did see the famous Dirty Three performance at Meredith. At the, well, there's there's been a couple. The first one, I remember um, a gentleman coming up to me, I don't know why he would ask me, saying, excuse me, can you please confirm what time Dirty Three are playing this evening? I'm just trying to work out when I drop my acid. <laughs> trying to time things uh, perfectly. But, yeah, that first gig was pretty transcendental. I had the record because I was you know, a big Revel Records fan and used to follow the advice of Warwick Brown. Was it down there? But it, it was really like a Led Zeppelin-esque transcendental experience seeing them play and then when they got invited back I think um something crazy happened like it was one of those like blue moon nights or something where there's a full moon with of a special color and um it was just uh, uh quite amazing but very um typical of the the beautiful organic success story that Meredith is the former head of music Victoria Patrick Donovan was also there when the dirty three slayed Meredith the night skies opened up but no one seemed to mind. Some of those rainy Merediths, some of the ones where the storms came. I think twice Dirty Three played and the storms hit and it was very much tents floating away. Is this show actually going to go on? Is someone going to be electrocuted? And Dirty Three that year, the storms, the lightning was still striking and it just felt like Warren playing his violin and it was just so moody and gothic and it just really, it was like a soundtrack to the storm going on. So probably not as good at the time because it was, you know, our tents were being washed away and we're covered in mud, but you know, look back on it more fondly and you forget the bad stuff and you just remember about that sort of soundtrack. The Teskey Brothers manager, Jeremy Furs, remembers another extreme weather experience at Meredith. I often think about the drones playing in 44 degrees 
Just because it was just insane. Like the day was so hot. There were bushfires, so it was actually smoky and everyone was just hiding in their tents. There was not many people braving it down on the hill because the shade was limited down there, you know, and the drones come out and it's like they were made for that set, like they were made for that setting. Everything, they just turned up so loud and they were all wearing like, you know, shirts and and full jeans and you were feeling so so beaten by the sun at this point you just wanted sweet relief and instead the drones came out and just like annihilated everyone with just like the grittiest set of of intensity and it was like i i just loved them so much for that magic happens at meredith they have a no dickheads policy as well as the much loved pink flamingo cocktail bar the meredith eye ferris wheel and the echoplex cinema which screens bizarre movies And the Meredith gift is the world's most famous nude running race. One year, the great Dennis Cometti turned up to call the event. Okay, this is the final. This is the Meredith gift. This is the one you've all been waiting for. Get those bags. Another year, JB Smoove, who you might know as Leon from Curb Your Enthusiasm, turned up. Hey, we had a great time here at Meredith. This is an amazing event. And then there was that time when Sam didn't win the golden jocks in the Meredith gift, but his girlfriend did agree to marry him after the race. Is this a marriage proposal? (laughs) And her name is Meredith. This is the best proposal ever. Congratulations, Sam. Yep, magic happens at Meredith. And Jeremy Furs agrees. And I remember just like, like I knew my friend Ben was like with his guys over there. He's a Williamstown guy and he always came down to Meredith with his Willie guys. And I knew him and he's like, he's over there and I know they're over there and I'm, you know, I'm going to hang with them later. And anyway, you know, it gets to sort of golden hour when things turn a bit weird at Meredith. And I don't know who was playing at the time, but I just remember looking across the crowd and seeing him. He stood up on his esky and he's just like put both arms like a big Y, big V in the air and just gone like, I was born for this shit. And it was just like, you know, there's a guy just so happy in his environment and you look around and that's what everyone was at Meredith. Like everyone is just so comfortable there. So that was one of my favourite moments. Yeah. Meredith can be a transcendental experience for festival goers. And this guy says it can also do great things for the artists. My name's Sean Adams. I'm the former booker of Corova Lounge and the ESPY and director of OK Motels. Sean was managing the Mashup Masters Yacht Club DJs when they played at Meredith. Yeah, so, and I guess that's the kind of, the really interesting part about this was just a moment in time for Yacht Club to stand up. They were really good and what they did stood up, but MGMT with all this hype, massive songs that were getting smashed on the radio and they kind of sucked. And then it went into Muscles, which once again probably wasn't the greatest show. And I just think people were waiting just to have something just hit them and kind of take them to another space. And they delivered. It was just actually wild and to hear the crowd. I was standing side of stage and wild just to hear the crowd kind of 
and the energy coming off it. It was so well. And then we got offered to come back the second year. And obviously it's never going to be as good as the first time, you know what I mean? But, but that first time was, you know, off the charts. And, you know, what Meredith does for an artist, I think just fast tracks a career by two years. Like they really just have this, it's just something so special about that festival. And I don't even think it's just the one stage thing or there's just something about people being really open to hearing something new they haven't heard or just bringing in an energy that I think is unlike any other festival, maybe in the world, but definitely in Australia. And that just kind of propelled us to get so many other festival offers and sold out shows around Australia. And it just set a career off for the next 10 years. Meredith also changed this woman's life. Hi, everybody. This is Kylie Aldist, and I am a singer from Glenroy. <laughs> I'm also a mother and a wife. So have I done Meredith? That's where I met the Bamboos. Well, I mean, I had met them all as a, as a whole, but I'd never sung with them before. Everybody was in their tents. I, I, people have talked about it and said that they were in their tents and uh, trying to sleep, and then they heard this music going on, and they're like, we better get up. I only did three or four songs with them, and it just went off, and then the next day they invited me to tour Europe with them. That was me and then I went to Europe and then I got a record deal of my own and uh, I was very lucky. One of the cool things about Meredith is that they always showcase a legendary act. Over the years, the Meredith stage have hosted Mental As Anything, Ross Wilson, Mark Seymour, Sonny Boys, Jane Clifton, Paul Kelly and Painters and Dockers. And in 2010, the great Neil Finn played. Holy Holy's Oscar Dawson will never forget Neil's performance. It was fucking awesome. And because Meredith is so, like, focused because it's just one stage and everyone's there, you know, I knew Neil Finn was playing and so we all went and I think it was pittering just with a soft rain, so we all there with ponchos and, like, I realised when we got there he doesn't, he's not full band and I'm like, oh, fuck, it's going to be boring. And it was awesome. He came out and he played so well and he's, like, his focus and he took the crowd with him and, like, it was all sing-alongs and he got someone out of the audience to play along with him, some random who played. And he just, like, he just commanded the whole fucking stage. And then a very special guest joined Neil for Don't Dream It's Over, the one and only Warren Ellis on violin. Man, he fucking nailed it. The best. But Warren Ellis is like a master of improv, isn't he? He doesn't need, I mean, he just like, he, and he's a vibe, like, bringer. So that was magic, actually, that show at Meredith. Another magic moment at Meredith. James Young, the man behind the boot, also loves another regional festival. I love Boogie Festival in um, Tallarook outside Seymour. Had a lot of fun there. One gig I, I enjoyed was um, seeing Endless Boogie, uh, a band from New York who were who just fantastic and tend to just, just jam. I've got all their records and can tell you their 16 favourite songs, but don't worry about it because they never play any of their 16 favourite songs. They always just start a jam. At Boogie one time, they were, they loved playing and they just got invited to play a pop-up show in the in the shearing shed on the hill there starting at 3am. So the people who knew went up there and they were inside a shearing shed and they started playing and sure enough, they played 110 minutes one song and it was just unbelievable. And someone was leaning forward and actually giving them key bumps while they was playing. It was like the breaking of the fourth. Whoa, what a, what a show. When he's back home in Melbourne, James never misses the Out on the Weekend Festival. 
I mean, out on the weekend in, in Seaworks continues to be an incredible celebration of alternative country music. And to this day, probably doesn't get the accolades it deserves because I, I still think that there's a part in people that they can't get over the stumbling block of Wimstown and where is it and how far away, which is tragic because it's the best site ever for an event with a, and you can arrive by boat, which I've done. You know, you arrive by boat and your boat parks next to the Sea Shepherd, you know, that incredible wilderness vessel. And, and then you've um, got the several stages and the food vans. That's an amazing experience. Henry Wagons also loves out on the weekend. And when he celebrated the 50th anniversary of Neil Young's Harvest album at the 2022 event, he was joined on stage by a very special guest. I got to sing with my daughter, do my first ever public performance with my nine-year-old, singing Heart of Gold. And it was incredible. As a parent, it was a really special moment. As we were about to go on stage, you know, we were waiting behind the curtain, me and my nine-year-old girl, Casper, it's like, am I being an irresponsible parent here? She's a little nervous, but man, she was into it. She really was excited to go on. We talked about what we were going to do. I was talking about all the things that can go right or wrong on a stage. You mightn't be able to hear yourself. Make sure you hold the microphone upwards because if you point it towards the fallback wedge, it's going to feed back. Feedback's this screaming noise. All these doomsday scenarios came over me that I wanted to warn her about so she didn't freak out on stage. Just before we went on, uh, she leant over to me and said, Dad, I'm shitting myself. And she doesn't swear very often, so I knew this was a big deal. And I leant over back to her and said, don't worry, Casper, I'm shitting myself as well. <laughs> you know, and that's part of it. That's what you do. That's um, part of the roller coaster of performance. She nailed it. If you're planning a big night out, leave the car at home. If you can, use public transport, catch a taxi, ride share, or organise a designated driver. Let's all get home safely and keep the band together. One, two, three, four. So where to next? As Cav from Eskimo Joe points out, if there's a spare patch of land somewhere in Victoria, someone will probably start a music festival. We were lucky enough in Eskimo Joe, just after we put out the song From the Sea, to be asked to play the St. Jerome's Laneway Festival. And I believe in 2004, and I believe that might have been the very first one. It was a really cool idea. You know, who would have known it was going to grow into the behemoth that it is? Um, but it was, you know, if you've ever been to that laneway, it was in 2004 anyway, it was a pretty smelly kind of garbage, you know, dripping alleyway. But it was super cool and it was narrow and, you know, they did this thing and they had all these really great international bands. It was a really funky, cool thing that they did. And yeah, over the years, you know, I've seen that grow and grow into just a really cool boutique festival. More often than not, they're not started by big promoters, but instead by music fans who go, how good would it be putting on a bunch of our favourite bands for all of our friends? That's what Rhett McLaren and his brother Aidan did. In 2009, we started our first festival and, and we, as my brother and I, uh, it was more of a coming home party uh, than anything. We were in Berlin, Germany in a very dark winter. We'd gone over there with my brother's band to, to make it big in Europe and they didn't go that well. So we had our heads down going, okay, well, we're going back home. So let's work out what we're going to do when we get home. And uh, having grown up with a dad who loved music, we thought maybe we could try a party in, at the farm. And um, 
on the return home, we uh, we just thought let's ring all our bands that we know of and our mates' bands and see if they'll play for a couple of hundred bucks each or I think it was even a hundred bucks back then just to cover their fuel and, and we managed to get 10 bands together and, and host this event and sort of charge 30 bucks a ticket to cover costs and it was about 350 people. It was in March, the third weekend of March in 2009 and uh, that turned into being what is now a fully-fledged events company in the Hills Alive group and then has spawned into Redhill Entertainment. Rhett and Aidan now run a stack of festivals, including New Year's Eve on the Hill, which is still at their mum and dad's farm in South Gippsland. In the first episode of this series, we mentioned what an important role the push and freezer played in the Victorian music scene, helping young people stage their own gigs. And that's how Rhett and Aidan got started, putting on their own shows in Lee and Gather. I love these guys. They booked my old band for one of their early festivals, The Hills Are Alive. We did, yeah. Animo. Animo was the act. Yeah, absolutely. It was so good. Uh, yeah, what a time. I, was, I think it was early days hills. Yeah, we had Animo was just killing it and doing great things and Alex in the band and we, what were they doing? Yeah, Northcote Social Clubs and stuff and just a great live act and Aiden and I were like, our whole premise with The Hills Are Alive in the early days was we won't book a band until we've seen them live and we still try our best to do that. And we had seen them at the social club, I think, and Animo were just like, these guys are amazing live acts, like we have to book them. Rhett and Aiden also run the Unify Gathering with Jad and Comerford from the Unified Music Group, which is a celebration of heavy music. They call it a metal Meredith. Jadden's one of the major players in the music business, but he still likes to get amongst it. One year, one of the early years, we're sort of all backstage packing up and I'm in the event control office and sort of checking if everything's all good and we get this radio call to say, um, this is the one of the security officers out in the campsite, um, there seems to be a crowd forming and they're starting to walk around the oval. Like, okay, can please just monitor and, and see what happens and, and then about two minutes later we hear this call and uh, they now seem to have a boom box, one of those sort of tradey boom boxes and it's pumping out Darude Sandstorm and it's now turning into a bit of a mob and that mob seems to be growing. Please uh, inform what, how, we, how we are to proceed. I was just backstage going, oh, wow, I'm better get out there and just see what's going on. And um, then the safety officer chimes into the radio call and I'm like, uh, ret to safety, ret to safety, can you just... Um, go and please monitor this. And, and she's like, yep, I'll radio back when I've had a look at it. I'm on my way out. It's probably a 500 metre walk for me to get out there. And then she's like, okay, I'm here. I can see it. The mob is growing. They're now starting to pull flags off the fences and they seem harmless at this point. They're just having a really good time around this boom box, but it is growing. We'll just stand by and monitor. I'm like, okay. Another five minutes go past and they're like, no, the crowd is now growing and it's getting a bit too big. And I was like, okay, safety officer, what, what should we do? And she's like, I repeat, get the boom box. I repeat, get the boom box. And I'm like, okay. By this time I'm out there and I'm seeing the mob and I'm like, wow, this is starting to really wind up. We better, we're going to have to somehow shut this down. And as I get closer, 
I'm like start looking into the crowd and see who's holding the boom box and right next to the person holding the boom box is uh, Jadon <laughs> and he's uh, punk dancing and just and then a lot of the unified team were in there just getting amongst it and uh, it was amazing. It was just like this culmination of a year and a half's work and a successful show and, a, and an absolute celebration of rock and roll and music and punk and heavy and just... It was awesome, but it was also like from an ops perspective, it was like, okay, we need to actually shut this down now. This is this is yeah, myself and the safety officer and a security guard went in and sort of I grabbed the crew and that I knew in there and just said, guys, we're gonna have to put we have to calm this one down. And and the security guard took the boom box and um yeah, it was it was a time. It was a time. But to see who was actually in and amongst it was just awesome. It was just like party time. Another great regional initiative is called OK Motels. In 2017, photographer Kate Berry fell in love with the Charlton Motel, which is halfway between Melbourne and Mildura. She loved the retro vibe and thought it would be a great idea to have a dinner and a show, combining cool bands with an authentic country experience. Our old buddy Sean Adams, who used to book the Corova Lounge in Ballarat, is the music director of OK Motels. I got involved with OK Motels just as Corova was finishing up and it's really just probably a little bit part of me of just having this regional heartbeat still to do things that were based in regional Victoria. It's about regional activations but probably presenting it in more unique um, kind of venues and ultimately at the start it's it's a motel in Charlton but we've been able to expand that into town halls and stuff but, you know, over the last few years, you've been able to host a heap of amazing artists like Cash Savage and Amelon Sniffers and Rolling Blackouts and a heap of great emerging artists. And, and I think the big thing is that I run it with um, the creator, Kate Berry, and, you know, I think the thing that we go back to that if it was a Melbourne experience, if there's something that feels a bit too Melbourne, we actually walk away from it and we actually go the other direction because... It's too easy to resort back, oh, this is really cool in Melbourne and then try and bring that to a regional area. But for us, it's about the CWA ladies. It's about the Lions Club. CWA ladies making Devonshire tea and people speed dating at the same time. You know, just those kind of things where we hope is unique to the event and that's what has given it its success. It's a very cool concept. If you want to find out more, just head to okmotels.com.au. So where do we finish this festival story? How about an event that started in Victoria and then went nationwide? The Falls Festival kicked off in Lawn in 1993, while the 2022 event relocated to Melbourne, to the My Music Bowl. Music journalist and former Music Victoria CEO, Paddy Donovan, will never forget his involvement with the Falls Festival in 1997. I was lucky enough to co-tour manage Iggy Pop and it was at the Falls uh, Festival. And my dad lived down at Aries Inlet, so I knew that part of the world. And uh, Tim and Simon were new to the scene, so they were hiring different types of people. So they asked me to look after Iggy Pop and his family for a week um, when he played just one show in Australia, New Year's Eve. And that was just a hoot. He had a pretty wild reputation, but he ended up being really, really mellow. And uh, we had some really nice sort of moments driving around, playing obscure blues records and the like. To have the rehearsal the day before at the Pacific Hotel where we had to tell the, bear, uh, the venue that we couldn't say it was Iggy Pop because that word would have got around town. So we 
said that it was a Triple J Unearthed band. They needed one last sort of rehearsal and then we turned up and Iggy's uh, manager was, we need new gear here. This isn't going to be good enough and if you can't rehearse, he won't won't play. Just being part of that once again into the build-up to the point where um, I'm standing side stage and just to see Iggy just transform from this, you know, really mellow, uh, gentle old guy to the old maniac that, that we all love. Very powerful, very funny. Just to see how much he loved Melbourne and the Great Ocean Road and all the love that we give Iggy for for some of that to come back, you know, really made me appreciate it. So um, that was a very special show and completely sober. I had to drive him home. So um, I remember every bit of it. <laughs> Earlier in this episode, we caught up with Adelita and chatted to her about Meredith. Adelita also loves playing at Falls. Well, it's such a badge of honour to be asked to do it down in Lawn in the beautiful Otways there. And then there was that classic moment where we, Violent Femmes, were playing one of the Falls Festival headline um, nights and something happened where someone threw something and I think um, Gordon Gaino, is it? He kind of was a bit pissed off and I think they stopped or then they came back on, but the crowd got a bit um, argy-bargy, a bit offended. Uh, Anyway, we had to come on after Violent Femmes but luckily, somehow we got audience the audience on side because we just rocked up and rocked out. And I think we might have even got some dudes on stage and they were doing the mooning, like just running around with their pants off, which I suggested. I said, come up here and do whatever you want. So we've got photos of that. But, yeah, that, so, yeah, you know, awesome memories. <laughs> Good times. Thanks. Thanks, Victorian venues. Yes, it's not the disease. It's the cure. We've loved bringing you the story of our great live music venues and our festivals. Thanks to everyone who makes Victoria the state of music. The artists, the road crew, the sound and lighting people, the promoters, the publicists, the journalists, the managers, the bar staff, the venue operators, and of course, the fans. For those about to rock, or whatever music they want to make. We salute you. Keep it local. Keep it live. Always live. This series of Always Live was written and researched by Mikey Carl, Luke Wallace and Jeff Jenkins. Audio production by Ben Oakley. Produced by Dave Carter on behalf of Media Heads. If you dug this podcast, feel free to share it write a review, and subscribe to the series on your favourite podcast app. Sharing is caring. And if you want info on some awesome live gigs coming soon to Victorian stages, follow Always Live on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter or visit the website alwayslive.com.au. I'm Alex Leahy. Catch you at the next gig. Hey guys, it's Matilda Pearl. I couldn't do what I do without my band by my side, so don't do life without your mates by yours. Take care on the roads this summer, look out for each other, and most importantly, let's keep the band together.